0: And I want you to think with me a little bit of what makes a person important. Think about that. What makes a person important? Now, if we went out and we just kind of surveyed, we might get lots of different answers. But does does a degree that a person have make them important? Certainly, their jobs, and to qualify for this job, you're expected to have this level degree or this level degree or this level degree. You've probably been into offices of doctors and you sit there and you look and you see they've got their degrees posted on the wall. That's for your comfort. They're not bragging. They just want to let you know that they're qualified to to look at you and care for you. But does having a a degree make you important? What about a successful career? There are those who've climbed the corporate ladder. We look at those and we call them a success. We certainly give them uh, a certain amount of respect for work, where they've climbed up on this this ladder in a particular company, but but is having a particular job or a successful career does that make you important? Does having some special skill, having achieved a lot in in sports, does that make you important? This past Super Bowl, Peyton Manning kind of went out on top, retired. After winning a Super Bowl, he'll be a certain, you know, football hall of famer. But does that make him important? Does having a big bank account, a lot of money stocked away, does that make you important? Does having your name known make you important? What if a person's importance is not tied to any of that stuff? What if we've been using the, the wrong yardstick when we measure not only others, but when we measure ourselves? I want us to ponder that this morning as we look at these verses in James. We're continuing our series on the book of James, Real Faith for Real Life. I had a question this morning. It was a good question. Someone asked, what translation are you using? Uh, I don't want to go through the whole process, but I want, in this process of James, I'm using the Holman Christian Standard Bible. It's a fairly recent translation. It was done through many uh, excellent Southern Baptist scholars, but I did want to let you know, in case you're saying, hey, that doesn't match when I'm reading in my Bible. I've got an NIV or an NAS or or, or whatever it is that you're reading from, that, that's the translation. Just so you'll know, I didn't just make this up. Uh, it is a legit translation. But we're going to continue today in James chapter 1, and we're going to look at verses 9 through 12. And so if you've got your Bibles, I'd invite you to open up there, James, James chapter 1, verses 9 through 12. Uh, you'll, you'll notice, uh, you probably already noticed, I, I pulled out reading glasses earlier. I'm going to pull them out again and the reason is my arms simply are not long enough. I tried it last week and I was out to here and I'm recognizing, okay, that's not going to work. All right. So if you've got your Bibles, here we go. James chapter one, beginning with verse nine, the brother of humble circumstances should boast in his exaltation, but the one who's rich sh- should boast in his humiliation because he will pass away like a flower of the field for the sun rises with its scorching heat and dries up the grass its flowers fall off and its beautiful appearance is destroyed in the same way the rich man will wither away while pursuing his activities a man who endures trials is blessed because when he passes a test he'll receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him may the lord help us to understand this word today and apply it to our lives. These words of James, though, seem a little contradictory. The man in humble circumstances should rejoice or or boast in his exaltation or his high position. The rich man should boast in his humiliation or his, his low position. What is James talking about? Well, let's focus on those first two verses there, 9 and 10, a little more thoroughly and see what's here the term humble circumstances in the greek it means to be lowly insignificant weak or poor james here is very likely referring to those christians who were just barely getting by they were living day to day and just just in the survival mode of getting through from one day to the next. They would be financially destitute. And to be honest, in the society, in the, in the culture, they would be considered insignificant and even irrelevant. There were people of status, but it wasn't those people. They had no status at all, no standing in society at all. And they were often overlooked and sometimes even abused by those who did have wealth and position. As I read this, my mind went to one of my favorite Christmas movies. And I'll watch it in in the different variations because it really doesn't matter. The story is the same. A Christmas Carol. And if you'll remember, if you've seen that movie or read that book, that Ebenezer Scrooge, when thinking about the poor of London, his reference toward them was that he he viewed them as the surplus population. The surplus population. In other words, all they were doing is taking up our air, taking up our resources. This is the kind of people that James is talking about here. So, this person who's poor, who has no social standing, no status in society at all, this seemingly irreverent, excuse me, irrelevant man or irrelevant woman, James says, boast in your high position, rejoice in your high position. Now, on the surface, you read this and goes, this makes no sense at all. But we've got to scratch beneath the surface because we can't view it as the world views it. We can't use the same yardstick that we've been using. The only way we can understand this is to understand it from the perspective of Jesus Christ. Of what it means to be in Christ. The brother, that's the key. That's what we missed. The brother in humble circumstances. The believer in humble circumstances. It would seem that the poor man would have very little to boast about. In reality, this poor Christian was far more wealthy than 99.9% of the rest of the known world. He was more wealthy than the riches of the rich and had a higher standard than the emperor of Rome. Boast, boast in your high position. In the eyes world, this person may not have had any social status, but in Christ, in Christ, this man, this woman was a child the Most High God. In the world's eyes, their plight may have seemed utterly hopeless, but in Christ, they had a hope that could never die. In the world's eyes, this man, this woman, may have been completely homeless, but in Christ, they had an eternal home that was made by the hands of God himself. In the world's eyes, They may have had nothing, but in Christ, they had everything that truly mattered, and that's why James could say, listen, you who are poor, you who are oppressed, you brothers and sisters in Christ, rejoice in your standing. Don't use the world's yardstick. Don't don't go by what the world says is important, Look at it through a different set of eyes. You truly have it all for eternity. What appears to be a contradiction is merely a matter of getting proper perspective. Have you ever seen those pictures where they have um, adjusted the, the focus so that something up close and something distant look like they're the same size? You've seen perhaps a picture of someone uh, pushing this way against the leaning tower of Pisa. And for all the world, it looks like they're, they're in the same frame, they're in the same location. Or maybe they're holding the Eiffel Tower in their hands. It's just a matter of perspective. What appears to be on the surface isn't actually what's true. And folks, that's what we have to get to That's what we need to understand with these words of James. James is saying, listen, according to the world, it's got got a, a way of measuring people and measuring status and measuring importance that has absolutely nothing to do with the kingdom of God. That's why Jesus could say, blessed are the poor. Do what? Blessed are the poor? Yeah. For theirs is the kingdom of God. It's a matter of gaining proper perspective. And and my hope, my prayer is that as we look at this this morning, as we dissect it a little more, that we can get more of this proper perspective, more of this proper understanding. Because you see, it would seem that the rich had a lot to brag about. The rich had a lot to boast about. But we're told that the rich, if they're going to brag about anything, brag about their humiliation. Excuse me? My humiliation, my my low standing, you you don't understand. I'm the CEO. Can can I show you my portfolio? You want to come over here and take a look at my car. Here, let me show you my house. Here's the floor plan. 16 bedrooms. I need a map to find myself a way around my own house. Let me tell you about all my land holdings. Let me tell you about all my stock holdings. Let me tell you about all that I possess. God will look and say it's going to burn. You don't understand. It only lasts for a season. And it's gone. What you hold on to so tightly is one day going to slip through your fingers. Oh, you may make it. You may make it all the way until the day you breathe your last, laid in your nice bed, in your nice home, in your nice life. But nobody gets out alive. The hearse doesn't pull a U-Haul behind it. You don't need pockets in your grave clothes. The rich man is not greater than the poor man. The the woman of high status is not greater than the woman of low status. God's not using our yardstick. And in fact, one of the things that Scripture tells us over and over, we really need to hear this, especially in the United States of America, because you know a lot of times uh, I'll see, uh, if I'm on the social network, somebody will post something and they'll go, first world problem. In other words, there are things that we complain about here, that we only complain you know slow internet okay that's a first world problem i went to the cabinet to get out you know honeycombs the box was empty that's a first world problem a real problem is if i went to the cabinets and there was nothing anywhere that's a real problem we got a lot of first world problems a lot of things that we complain about why because even the poorest among us Listen, I want to be very sensitive here. I understand some of you are struggling, truly, to get by day after day after day. But even the poorest of us rarely go to bed hungry. Rarely go to bed hungry. And we actually, most of us have a bed that we can go to. One of the good things about going on short-term mission trips is that it helps change your perspective. It helps you understand there are people who do not have clean water. There are people who do not have a bed on which to lay their head. There are people who go, not just have to go through meals that are skipped, but have to go through days of skipped meals. There are people who don't have an emergency room or a family doctor or a pharmacy to go to to get simple medications and treatment. As bad as it can be for some in our country, and it can be, let's face it, we're the richest, most well-off nation in the world. And so you listen to this and you go, "This, this does not apply to me. I don't have all that stuff. I don't have a title on my house, a title on my car. I can't go vacationing all over the world. I, I'm not rich. I would say that the vast majority of us really, really are. And the Bible warns us that there's some dangers that come along with riches. It not tell us that rich people are bad. It not even tell us that riches are bad. But there are dangers that come with it. Look, look in, uh, for instance, Proverbs 18, 11. I, I love this verse. A rich man's wealth is his fortified city. In his imagination, it's like a high wall. In other words, hey, this is where I'm putting, this is my security. In God's perspective, it said, hey, it's just your imagination. it away with you. Proverbs eleven twenty eight. 28. Anyone trusting in his riches will fall. Jesus startled his disciples when he declared how hard it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And Paul would add in 1 Timothy 6, Instruct those who are rich in this present age not to be arrogant or to set their hope on the uncertainty of wealth, but on God, who richly provides us with all things to enjoy. Instruct them to do what is good, to be rich in good works. To be generous, willing to share, storing up for themselves a good reserve for the age to come so that they may take hold of life that is real. Real faith gives us, gives the believer a proper perspective on wealth and position, it puts things into the right focus. We can't serve two masters. Jesus said that. Can't serve God and money. And we have to be really careful in a consumer society. And listen, we live in a consumer society. We do. We're taught from the earliest ages to be consumers. That's why when your child, your grandchild is watching a cartoon, it's not long before they're running to you and telling you the kind of cereal they want you to buy, the kind of toy they want you to secure for them because they have bought into it. It's there. We used to tell our kids and we used, I used to have them repeat it to me. I, we, we had a little mantra and I would say when they'd see a commercial and they would kind of look over at me with this The eyes wide open like, I want that. I just say, hey, listen, why did they show you that commercial? And their answer would be, because they want me to buy something. That's exactly why they showed it to you. It may have brought a tear to your eye. It may have made you laugh. But the reason they showed it is because they wanted you to buy something. Typically, it's something you didn't even know you needed. Have you ever seen an infomercial? And you go, gosh, I didn't know I needed that, but now I can't live without it. What was that number? I've got a call. We're trained from the earliest age to be consumers. And in a consumer society, it is so, so dangerous because we end up pursuing the things that the world pursues. Money, possessions, and we treat them as if they are the most important things in life. Now listen, they may have some level of importance And many of these things are necessary for life. The Bible warns us that even though God has given us all things to enjoy, they should not be our pursuit. They should not be our aim. They should not be our end game. In Christ, we understand that the source of our joy is in him and not in things. You learn this at Christmas when you're a parent. Because your child has begged you, literally, begged you for a certain toy at Christmas time. And so you get it. You have to go to three stores to get it because it's a popular toy. Every child under the sun wants the toy, but you get it and you bring it home. You wrap it. You put it under the tree and you wait and now your excitement is building as their excitement is building and every time they go over and pick it up and shake it you tell them to put it down but secretly you're thinking about the excitement of your child your grandchild you're just as excited about it as they are so christmas morning comes they unwrap it they thank you they play with it for a few days and then about the 3rd of January, you wonder, where is that thing? That thing that cost me $200 that my child could not live without, where is it? So you go for a search. It's like, where's Waldo? You can't find it anywhere. Till finally, you find it stuffed under a bed or tucked in the corner of the closet. Most of the time, broken in some way. But if not broken, then certainly abandoned. And you wonder what all the fuss was about. This is what the world does to us, though. It dangles these things in front of us and says, oh, this will make you happy, this will satisfy you, and this will last. But it's a lie it doesn't last happiness is only for a moment I think I shared with some of you that um, you know when we bought uh, a couple of years ago went out and, and I bought a car my truck was literally falling apart it had a lot of good years on it I got it from Jim George Jim drove it for a long time I drove it for a long time it was a good truck and it was just it was giving up the ghost so I got a car got a nice car It was, you know, you've seen it. It's kind of weird because I went in trying to find something black because I'm a preacher. I'm thinking, okay, black looks fun in front of a funeral procession. That works. You don't want anything too flashy. But I ended up with a little red Mazda 6, which does look strange in the front of a funeral procession, I will admit. But it's a nice car, and I was really happy with it. And I don't have kids now who are sticky, and so, you know, you, okay, it's a little nicer. And I was so happy with this thing because it, it had some bells and whistles that no other vehicle I had before ever had. Nancy made me get these things because she's afraid of me now driving because it beeps and, and warns me if I'm getting too close or sliding over into the other lane. It says, wake up! And I'm thinking this thing is awesome. Until they came out with the next year's model. Looks just like mine but it's got more bells and whistles. Then you walk out and you look at that thing that the day before had brought you so much happiness and you go, oh, what a piece of junk. No, I really don't say that. I really like my car, but there's a level of dissatisfaction. That's what a consumer culture does. It creates dissatisfaction. when what God wants to create in you is exactly the opposite. Satisfaction, contentment, and Peace. Those who are are rich, they need to acknowledge that these things are fleeting. These these things don't last, and they don't ultimately satisfy. And those who are poor need to acknowledge that ultimately these other things don't matter that much. I don't have to fall in line and pursue them like everybody else does. But we also learn from this, let's don't get this, get this. The rich aren't more important than the poor. The high aren't more important than the low. Not according to God's measurement. I'm not sure who said it, but it was a wise statement. When the game is over, both the king and the pawn go back into the same box. And that's true for life. No matter where you were, no matter what your station was, we all get put back into the same box so i want to be perfectly clear here i don't want any misunderstanding so let me let me make it clear poverty is not virtuous in and of itself wealth is not wrong and being rich is not a sin the problem does not lie in riches themselves but in the human heart don't miss this i don't want you going out and saying hey jimmy just railed against the rich that's not what i'm saying you can look through scripture and you can see a lot of rich people who had right hearts and you can see a lot of poor people who had who had bad hearts it's a matter of the heart because with the right heart a new heart you get a new perspective So God's word warns us about riches. Again, let me remind you this. Wealth promises lasting happiness but cannot cannot, cannot deliver. Riches give us a sense of self-sufficiency when in fact we should daily rely on God. And prosperity tricks us into thinking that we're better than others. So I'm going to I want to just pull a few truths out of here that I think are important for us to hear and, and these are in your handout if you want, to, you want to write these down. The first one is our significance is not measured by wealth or poverty. Not measured by status. Your significance comes from somewhere else. You, listen, nobody's told you this today. Let me tell you this. You are a unique creation of god there's never been another like you now there may be things about yourself that you don't like you'd rather change some of you may have taken the initiative to already change some of those things you don't like about yourself but you are a unique creation of god of infinite worth and value to him listen jay and his girlfriend this weekend we working at a camp. It's called Camp Jackie. It doesn't have anything to do with my Jackie. It's a camp for um, severely uh, disabled kids. Most have some type of autism, some type of mental issues. Um, and he's working that camp this week. I'm going to say this because he's not here, but I want you to hear it. This has nothing to do with me. Nothing to do with me. I look at him, and it brings tears to my eyes because he's spending a weekend with kids that most people think are broken. With kids that most people think are insignificant and irrelevant, who don't matter. They are the surplus population, not worth our time and thought. And he's spending a weekend holding them, and playing with them, and telling them that they're unique and special. And I look at this, and it brings joy to my heart. Because I think we didn't really mess him up. It's kind of perspective perspective that sometimes I wish I had when I look at people and I see them as obstacles in my way from point A to point B when I look at people and go man they, so, they sap all my energy can I, can I confess to you if it, none of you in here but there are times when I'm in the grocery store that I start to go around a corner and I see who's down the aisle and I figure, let me go down another aisle. I I know it's awful. You probably want to fire me because none of you have ever done that. I look at that and I go, God, forgive me because I used the wrong yardstick to measure them. You are a unique creation of God, never been another like you, never will be. God has a special plan and purpose for your life, and I don't care how much money you have in the bank. It doesn't matter. I don't care how big your house is. It doesn't matter. I don't care how many followers you have on Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat, it doesn't matter. God loves you even if you still use a flip phone. We've got to quit measuring with the wrong yardstick. Our significance is measured by who we are in Christ. Secondly, both property and riches can be tests of our faith. When we are on the bottom end, the danger is that we feel worthless, insignificant, useless, like a loser. When we're on top, the danger is that we feel self-sufficient. I don't need God. I I don't need church. I don't need anything. I've got this. And third, the greatest reward is not an abundance of riches. Listen, it's the crown of life. When we receive the crown of life, as we appear before God's throne, none of this other stuff is going to matter. There is no test, no property that you have to own, no amount you have to pay there's nothing you can do to enter into heaven based on your own goodness on your own effort on your own achievement nothing it's just the crown of life that matters and that comes through faith in jesus christ jesus said for what does it benefit a man if he gains the whole world and yet loses his life The cross is both the great leveler of man and the great elevator of man. We all come to Jesus the exact same way as sinners in desperate need of grace and forgiveness. No one's status gives them an advantage. Doesn't matter how rich you are, how poor you are. Doesn't matter whether you live in a wonderful, beautiful uh, home or whether you live in a mobile home park doesn't matter if you drive a nice Mazda 6 or you have to catch a ride even to get to the grocery store. None of that matters. Status doesn't matter. God is not going to be impressed by how much you've got, and God is not going to be disinterested by how much you don't have. When you and I become children of God, there are no second-class citizens. None. And regardless of our station, our status on this planet, our standing before God is as a co-heir with Jesus Christ. A son or a daughter of the king of the universe and a precious child so, so important to God that he would send his one and only son to die on a cross for us. That's your status. And to be honest, that's all that matters. I want to close just with a quote. It's a quote from a martyred missionary named Jim Elliott. You've heard it before, many of you. If you haven't heard it, it's worth, listen, if you were going to get anything tattooed to your body, I wouldn't recommend it, but if you were going to, and you absolutely insist, this would not be a bad thing to have tattooed. Tattoo it to your brain, at least. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. Some of you are here this morning and you need to gain what you cannot lose. You need a relationship with Jesus Christ. You've got plans, you've got ambition, you've got places that you're going in this life and things that you've achieved in this life. But you've run up against the brick wall of God's Word right now and you've recognized this is not enough. I need Jesus. And if you need him this morning, he's waiting for you. His blood covers your sins, makes you new. Some of you need a church family, a place to belong, a place to connect. A place not just to learn and not just to worship, but a place where you can truly be a part of something way bigger than you are. A place where you can be loved and you can love place where you can serve share place where you can grow god's calling you to be a part of us then why not come some of you may simply need to come and pray to make this a turning point in your life to be able to honestly go to god and say i've been using the wrong yardstick for way too long and i need a new perspective Could you give it to me? And the good news is he will. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for speaking to us through your word. We thank you for your son. Lord, as we come now, we ask that you would continue to move in us. And and Lord, I pray with those who are struggling right now. There's some folks who are sitting out here struggling. And it's not because they feel guilty to be rich or feel miserable for being poor. It's because your Holy Spirit has worked in their hearts today and they realize they need your son as Savior. They've been counting on the wrong things, measuring by the wrong yardstick. They've got their sense of worth and value from the world, not from you today they realize that more than anything else what they want when this life is over is not a beautiful obituary a solid gold coffin a big send-off but what they want Lord is for you to place upon their heads the crown of life to embrace them and say well done well done my good and faithful servant enter now into my rest Lord there are those who are struggling you've called them to be part of this church family and they've got all kinds of reasons that they shouldn't make that move today Lord you still pull. you still tug and God I pray they'll simply listen to you and do what you want them to do that's all Lord, there are some who've been confronted by the reality that they've been measuring everybody and themselves the wrong way. Today, they need a new perspective, a new heart, a new beginning. They need you to open their eyes and open their hearts. So Lord, you today do what only you can do. You call people to move, to respond humbly ask this in the powerful name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ.